go. Good. So we've been talking about love. We've been doing this series on the four Greek, ancient Greek words for love um, and uh, Scripture, what Scripture has to say about them. And uh, so uh, we want to finish that series up today. We're going to get back to God. Uh, it's just a part of what we do. If you're a guest, don't worry about it. Uh, if you're a regular, you need to give. It's good for you. And uh, so uh, we want to finish up this series uh, by celebrating love, but the best kind of love. And it's not that the other loves are bad. It's that they're perfectly good in the, perfect, in the right context. Uh, context. But uh, at the end, there is a love that, that makes all the others work, right? So I, was, uh, I, I love music. I love all kinds of music, except, of course, jazz, which we all know isn't music. We established that a few weeks ago. But Ken and I are still arguing about that. Uh, so... Uh, I was listening to a country song recently. Maybe you know it. It's by a great artist. It's a pretty good song, and it's called uh, I Believe Love Wins. And the song suggests that love wins. And it's a cute song. It's a nice little hook, and it's a nice sentiment. The problem is I have this theological, philosophical bent in my brain that when I hear something, I want to go, but does it? Does love really win? Does it? Always, everywhere, every time, all kinds of love. So I want to ask what kinds of love. So let's go through this, right? So the kinds of love we've talked about so far are, first of all, like uh, phileo, which is like the word for brotherly or sisterly love, like Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. That comes from the Greek word phileo, and that's the one we talked about first. And uh, so in friendships, does love always win? Does it always work out in friendships? No. I mean, we've all been burned by somebody, right? We've all had friendships that went sour. So it doesn't always win. So it's a nice sentiment, but not necessarily true. All right. What about storge, which is kind of a family love? Do families always work out? Do kids never go bad? <laughs> that was a painful... Okay. Um, and then what about um, um, eros, a romantic love, erotic love? Does, does that ever go to bad? I mean, is that... <laughs> okay. What's love got to do with it? Here we go. So... Um, so what is the deal? Does love always win? I don't think those loves always win because they don't have the power. They aren't the kind of love that can, can do that. So there's another kind of love. There's another kind of love talked about in Scripture. And it and, and, and brotherly love are talked about most. They're a little bit interchangeable sometimes, but there is a distinction. And so I want to talk about it. It's called agape. You've heard of If you've been in church for any length of time, agape is the Greek word for this kind of love. And I just want to give you a little etymology of the word. Hang with me. It's really interesting stuff for me. It may not be for you, but we'll get to good stuff for you. So it actually was an ancient uh, Greek word and classical Greek, but it wasn't used very often. It was a fairly lofty ideal, and it was rarely used. But when they went to take the Old Testament, which we call the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, they wanted to translate it into Greek for the Greek-speaking world at the time, like when Jesus was alive uh, and before that. Uh, when Greek kind of became the universal language, they took the Hebrew, translated it to Greek, and a thing called the Septuagint, and in that the translators were looking for this Hebrew, uh, 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 a Greek word that would translate this Hebrew word for this special kind of love that God has. And they chose this word agape. It was rarely used, fairly lofty word. And so in the Septuagint, they used this word for God's love for us. And then the New Testament writers took that same word for love and they just blew it up and, and packed with all kinds of meaning and implications that were built on this translation. You follow me so far? Are we good? Okay. So this will come in, in handy in a minute when, when we go to the passage we're going to look at. So this kind of love, what is this kind of love? Um, and, and so this kind of love is a, is a different kind of love. So 
In, in 1 John 4.19, it says we love because he first loved us. It says we love, we agape, not phileo, not storage, not eros, those other kinds of love. We agape, we do this kind of love because the reason we get it is because he first loved us. And so it is in a relationship with God that we receive this kind of love and it empowers the other kinds of love. They're not bad loves. They're just not this, this God kind of love that he loves us with. So what's unique about this kind of love? It's unconditional. So if we look at the other loves, and we're to be really, really, really honest about the other loves, there is a little bit of selfishness in them, uh, especially we practice them. So for example, um, brotherly love. You usually love somebody who's like you or you have something in common. Um, you know, we both like to make quilts. I don't know. And let's get together and make quilts. So we have something in common. I love you because you love what I love. Right? Um, I know quilts is weird. But anyway, <laughs> Dodgers. I don't know. Whatever. So, uh, so, let, so that, that love is a little bit about me and we have something in common. I see something in you that I identify with and therefore. Um, so let's say storage, a family love. Well, I got to love you because you're family. Right? So we have that in common. So we love each other because, yeah, you're supposed to love family. Okay. Um, and uh, the last one is Eros. Well, I love you because I feel something. And you're not even sure what you feel, but you feel something. Right? And so I love you because of that. Agape love is I love you. Period. No qualifiers. No I love you when or if or because. I love you. God loves us. Period. It is generated from who God is, from his character. God is. So here's what it says in 1 John 4, 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is agape. God is love. It is who God is. And so this kind of love is unselfish. It is volitional. It is choice to love. And it's unlike any other love because it's not dependent on getting or performance or whatever or identifying with something or even seeing something in the beloved that is worth loving. It is unrelated to any of that. It is a different kind of love. It is just love because. Um, it is also powerful, this kind of love, because it is, uh, it is eternal. Uh, so the Bible says faith, hope, and love. Great things, right? Faith, hope, and love. But in heaven, which of those are you going to experience? You don't need faith anymore because you're looking at them. You don't need hope because you're experiencing everything you could ever hope for, but love. These three, but love remains. It is eternal. And so this kind of love is a love that comes from God to us. We love God back with this kind of love. And then the New Testament teaches where we can then choose to love each other with this kind of love. And it can empower our family love, our friendship love, even our romantic love. It can empower those and make them pure. But it is its own kind, its unique kind of love. And that's what was kind of uh, infused in the meaning of this word as the New, New Testament writers wrote it. And uh, so, um, one more thing I'll mention, and, and just to clarify, somebody mentioned a minute ago, is a gift kind of love. So much of love is out of need. I'm going to love you because, I'm going to love you if, when, right? But this kind of gift love, God gives us his love. Boom. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It was a gift. Whether we choose to receive it or not is up to us, but the gift is given right? And so that's a part of what we understand about this love. We just give this love. We receive this love and give this love just because. So uh, I want to talk about a, a couple of passages. One is found in Luke 10. You can turn there if you have a Bible or if you'd like to read uh, on the overheads, we're going to have it. And in Luke 10, um, 
we, we find this interesting interaction with someone who knew this word agape from the translation and used it in his conversation, but didn't understand it. He knew it, but he didn't understand it. So, in Luke 10, starting with verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law, which is somebody who studied Scripture to understand it theologically as well as kind of legally in their, in their system, um, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus turns it right around on him. He says he's going to test Jesus. He may have been adversarial or he may have been just trying to see if Jesus knew his stuff. And then he says, and Jesus turns it right around to him and says, um, what is written in the law? How do you read it? In other words, you're the expert, you tell me. And he says this, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Very familiar passage, very familiar um, to, to Jews and, uh, of that day. But here's a couple of interesting things. First of all, he says, love uh, the Lord your God. Now, this word love is the word agape. It is the word we're talking about today, love. He knows the word. He knows it's been used in the translation. He doesn't understand what the New Testament meaning is going to be for that word, the additional meaning that's going to be added for it. But let's start with this. Love the Lord your God. Now, what's interesting is that what he's saying is not what he would live. And we'll show you that in a moment. Love, Lord, you got any religion that's based on anything other than love is a false religion. You see, God didn't send his son so that we could have a set of rules to live by and try to earn brownie points with God. God didn't send his son so that we would, we would have all the key secrets to living a better life or that we, we would, I don't know, be rule keepers, whatever it is. Any religion that tells you that's what it's about is wrong. And that's why this young man is wrong. I, I don't know if he's a young man. He's got a man. Um, because love is the issue. This agape is what faith is about. It's what, it's what Christianity is about. It's about knowing and loving God. I know lots of people, lots of religions, they try to please God, they try to live according to God's plan, but they can't say they love God or that God loves them. What is unique about our experience in Christ is that we know that God loves us. Agape, a love greater than any of the other loves. It is a greater love, and because of that, we know that we are loved, and that changes everything. But this man doesn't know that. He only says the words. And so he says, he says something interesting here, though. He does point out some really, some really good things. Uh, the first thing is that we're to love God. Uh, let me just talk about it in this order, with your mind. Love God with your mind, um, which means it's a choice. So it's a command to love God. So if it, if it was a command, but we didn't have a choice... And all you ever do is fall in love. You had to go to look around for love holes to drop into, right? It couldn't be a command if it wasn't something we could choose. By the way, which is actually more romantic, believe it or not. If you, think, if you, really, if you really think about this for a minute, we met, we fell in love, it was great. Okay, what happens when you fall out of love? Right? That's kind of the problem in our society. We think you fall into something and you can fall out of it. But it's actually, even though it doesn't sound like it, it's actually much more romantic to say, I met her, and over the months to come, I decided that this is the woman that I would love because she is beautiful and smart and has character and all of these things, and I have chosen to love her, and to this day, all these years later, I still choose to love her because she is the woman I chose to love. Now, that doesn't sound as romantic as we fell. We tripped and fell right into each other right? It's not as, but it is. It is how much more powerful to know that my wife was chosen and continues to be chosen as the person that I will love, right? And so he begins with, love God with your mind. Choose to love God and let God love you. It is a choice. And, but then he goes, and with all your heart. 
In the ancient world, the heart was about the core of who you are, what you're really about, about your priorities, about the center of your life. Honey, I love you, and you are like number 16 on my priority list. But you're moving up, babe. If I said that to my wife, I wouldn't be here next week. I wouldn't be anywhere next week. Right? Now, my wife is not number one on my list. She's number two, and she knows that. God is number one, and because God is number one, I treat her better, right? And she's good with being number two, but if she was somewhere down the list, she wouldn't stick around probably. When we want to have a relationship with God, it has got to be the core, all of our heart. It has got to be the most important thing, the top of our priority list, loving God. It's not something you do on the side. It's not something you do when you got extra time. It is the core. It is what life is about. And then the other loves fall into place. The family loves, the friendship loves, the, the romantic loves fall into place. He said, I love you with my mind, I love you with my heart. And here's what's interesting. All, all my mind, all my heart, all my strength, all. It's an all-encompassing thing. God wants me to take everything into this relationship. Even my bad attitudes, even my flaws, even my woundedness from the past and my mistakes, it all comes in. All of me is covered by this agape love. And he says, all my strength. You know what's interesting is God wants you to love him even with your body. What? Because love always expresses itself in service. I can say all day, I'm sitting on the couch, honey, I love you, I love you. But I don't get up and take that dirty dish back to the sink. She's not going to really believe I love her very much. Because at the end of the day, love expresses itself in service. Not to get brownie points, but because I love her. Right? All my mind, all my heart, all my strength, and my soul. All my soul. I know that my eternity depends on if I love God or not. That's what it depends on. So this guy said a couple of wrong things. He made a couple of mistakes. One was he used the word agape, but he didn't fully understand it. He was just quoting the Septuagint. But there's another thing. He says, what must I do? What must I do to deserve eternal life. He had this, this assumption. Most people have this assumption. You ask the average person on the street is not a person of, of, of faith in terms of the Bible. Uh, you say, well, you, you believe in heaven? A lot of people, yeah, okay. How, how do you get there? I got to be a really good person. He had the same false assumption that many of us do. I can actually, it is possible that I could be good enough that God would bring me into his perfect place called heaven forever. I could be that good. No, I can't even not eat ice cream today. <laughs> I can't be that good, right? Isn't that the, here's what he misunderstood. What can I do to inherit eternal life? There's nothing you can do. What's funny is he's talking to the very person who's going to make, it, make him able or make it possible for him to go to heaven because <laughs> there's nothing he could do. It was a false assumption. You can't do anything, but I'm going to die on the cross for you so that you can go to heaven if you accept that gift. What an amazing picture happening here, right? You follow me? You good? You okay? This is good stuff? All right. So the other thing is this eternal life. We think about it in terms of just heaven, but it's not just heaven. Eternal life also includes kingdom life. And what happens when, when this God kind, God's kind of love comes into our lives, it begins to change us now, and our life is different from that point forward into and forever. But starting now, I begin to live an agape kind of life a different kind of life, gener uh, motivated by and empowered by a different kind of love. 
The other three loves can cause us to do some great things. It's hard to sustain them, but we can do some great things. But this kind of love, because it's fresh every day as we spend time with God, it changes my life. And I enter into the kingdom life now because of this agape and continue forever. So he gives, he gives the right answer. And, and, it, and it's interesting that he gives the right answer. And then he goes on. And in verse 27, the second half, he says, and love your neighbor yourself. So love God with your mind, heart, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because agape always changes the way we relate to other people. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly, uh, do this and you'll live. So Jesus goes, yeah, good answer. But here's what's interesting. In the next verse, I'll come back to it. In the next verse, he says, he wants to qualify it though, because he still wants to be in control. Uh, but who's my neighbor, he says. But who's my neighbor? Which is interesting, because true agape doesn't ask that question. Wrong question. He's trying to limit his exposure, his liability. <laughs> I gotta love who people like me. I want to. That's what he was thinking because he was a, a righteous guy. He was a guy who kept the rules. He only wanted to love people like himself. But here's what happens when agape comes. We begin to experience God's love. We don't then make those kind of limiting kind of things on ourselves. We're not just to love people like us, and we'll talk about that in a moment. So let me let me go on. The outcome of agape is always uh, loving others. So love God and love your neighbor yourself. You see signs around here a lot. You ever see a sign out here that says love God, love others, bring change? right? That's kind of our bumper sticker version of what we do around here. Love God, love others, bring change. Well, how do we do that? It's through experiencing this agape love. And, but coming to a place where we can experience it is very difficult because just like this scholar here didn't understand the word agape, understanding the concept of God's love being a different kind of love, a more powerful kind of love, a purer kind of love that changes everything is really hard to get our arms around. So I want to read a passage for you. It's found in Luke 21. And, and, and it's a little bit lengthy, but I want you to stick with me. And in Luke 21, we find that uh, Peter, after, after the cross, the resurrection, uh, Jesus appeared to the disciples a couple of times, and then this event happens. And Peter um, has this really difficult conversation. And it's really a hard one, but it's really critical. And it includes this word uh, and another word for love. And so... Um, let me, I'll just, I'll just skip through the first section. I'll just tell you what it is. Uh, it's early in the morning and, and Jesus is on the shore. The disciples have been fishing all night. They haven't gotten anything. And Jesus yells out to the disciples, hey, you guys catch anything? They say, no. He said, well, throw your net on the other side. And they're like, okay. They do. It fills up. And then John says, hey, that's Jesus. And Peter jumps out of the boat into the water, as he does a lot, it seems, and goes running to Jesus. And Jesus has fish on an open fire prepared for him. They have breakfast together. They caught 153 big fish. And, and it's just a great scene, okay? And it's the third time Jesus appeared to them after the resurrection, and they all knew who he was. That's the backdrop. It's important because we'll get back to it in a minute. Now let me start reading in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, how many know that if the conversation begins with, do you love me? It's going to be an interesting conversation. It could be my granddaughter, Papa, do you love me? Oh, this is going to cost me money, isn't it? <laughs> how much do you need? Yeah, granddaughter, what am I going to say no? Um, uh, or my wife, honey, do you love me? <laughs> yes, yes. I, I think that's the right answer, yes, I'm pretty sure. Uh, right? So this conversation starts off with, Peter, do you love me? But he goes on, he said, and this is an important thing. So let me, let me read it to you. Uh, Simon, son of John, uh, Simon and Peter, same person. Uh, do you love me more than these? Now, what's interesting is they love me more than these. So what's the these? Sometimes scripture leaves blanks for us. Like, how do we fill them in? So for example, they're sitting, they got 153 fish. Uh, Peter, 
do you love me more than these fish? Well, that sounds silly, except for if you remember that fish was his previous occupation, his hope and his aspirations were tied up in that industry of fishing. So do you love me more than that? Do you love me more than you love your friends? Because all the disciples are there. He's asking in front of all of them. Do you love me more than these guys? Or do you love me more than they love me? Because there was a time earlier when Peter had said to Jesus before the, before the crucifixion, if everybody else forsakes you, I'm here. I'm going to stick with you. Remember that? Do you love me more than they love me? So I don't know what Jesus is getting at. Maybe he's getting at all of them. I don't know. But he's, he's drilling down on Peter a little bit here right in front of everybody, and it's embarrassing. And so here's what happens. And by the way, he says, do you love me? Do you agape me? And, and, and yes, Lord, Peter says, you know that I love you. By the way, there's an interesting thing here when Peter says, you know that I love you. Two things. One, he says, uh, you know, and the word he uses for know is intellectual knowledge. You understand that I love you. You know intellectually that I love you. And the word he uses for love is phileo. It's not agape. Jesus says, do you agape me? He says, I phileo you. Do you love me with an unconditional love? I love you as a brother. Interesting. Oh, and you can say, well, they're interchangeable. And, and sometimes in scripture they are. But in this case, I don't think so. And, and watch this. And, and I don't know exactly what we're supposed to get from this. I, I think we're supposed to struggle with what it means. Because we will always struggle with what it means to have an agape love. The others are more natural. Listen to this. Or come more easily, maybe. Uh, um, so again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know, intellectually know, that I phileo you. I love you, bro. Love you. Right? And then he, and he goes on, he says this. Uh, and each, after each of these, by the way, he says something. Jesus, after the first one, says, feed my lambs. After this, we said, take care of my sheep. We'll get back to that in a moment. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? <laughs> Why did Jesus change words? Why did he go from agape to phileo? I, I don't know. We don't know. There's been centuries of scholars trying to figure out why, why the author recorded it this way. Why did he change words? Maybe he was going, okay, you don't get the agape thing. I'm going to settle for brotherhood now. You'll get the agape thing later. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know why he changed words. But there was a very distinct reason there. Maybe Peter just wasn't ready for agape. Maybe he didn't get it. Maybe he didn't understand it. But he changes words there. And, and Peter changes words, but not the one you expect. So here's Peter. You okay? This is great stuff. I love this stuff. If you don't love this stuff, you came on the wrong Sunday. But I have food on the patio. You'll be all right. <laughs> the third time, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know. Now this time, Peter changes his word. He says, Lord, the first two times, Lord, you know that I love you. Now he says, Lord, you have experienced me. You, we, we, from experience, you know, we've been together for three years. You know that I love you. But again, he says, as a brother, he says, phileo again. But now he's trying to convince Lord, and he's hurt that Jesus doesn't get it. And so he changes his word, but Lord, you know me, you know that, that I love you. What am I missing here? <laughs> By the way, great question. Again, Jesus says, feed my sheep. What a great question to ask yourself. What am I missing here? I think God calls us, and I don't know what he was doing, Peter. I have some ideas I want to share them with you, but I think God calls us to question ourselves about our loves. What kind of love do I have for God? Is it the kind that I feel like I'm going to get something from God? God is a giant Santa Claus, and I can ask him for what I need in a given moment. 
Or is this an unconditional kind of love that he has for me that I have for him? Because as I learn that unconditional love, my life changes and I become different. So let's look at why did he do this to Peter? Well, there's an obvious reason why he did it to Peter. is restoration. So you remember, so he asked Peter three times in front of all of his friends, do you love me? You remember earlier, Peter denied Christ. How many times? Three. So three denials, three affirmations, three questions. Because Peter needed to be restored. Peter needed to be brought back and known that Jesus still loved him. Yeah, you blew it three times. I'm going to ask you three times if you love me. And I'm going to drill down on this love thing. Because he not only wants to let Peter know, I still love you, but he's not sweeping the denials under the carpet. By the way, oftentimes we think love is just making nice and don't deal with the issues. True love, agape love, deals with the issues. Cares enough to risk that embarrassment of that relationship in that moment to deal with the real issues. What were the real issues with Peter? Peter was impetuous. He's always jumping out of boats, cutting people's ears off, right? And saying, I love you way too quick because he didn't understand what it really meant. Lord, I love you. I'm there, man. These guys are all going to leave. I am there. Three times he denied him. Jesus is drilling down on what Peter's understanding of love was because love is about a commitment. It's about a cost. It's about a choice. Peter, do you love me? No, not that superficial stuff that causes you to jump out of boats. I want real love because what I've got in mind for you long term is going to take some guts and some commitment, some tenacity. Do you love me? No, 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 not that silly stuff. Not we're buds, we hang. No, do you love me? Three times he does it. There's another thing we need to notice about what's happening in this restoration because a lot of us have blown it and we need to hear that God still loves us, but he's not going to walk away from the stuff we've done. He's going to say, you need to repent of that. You need to be forgiven for that so you're clean and free from that so it doesn't entangle you and draw you back anymore. See, that's a part of what happened to Peter that day is he got drawn back in. Think about this, three years earlier. So the scene is important. The scene is important, and we'll talk about that in a moment because three years earlier, Jesus had met Peter. And Peter had given up his fishing business and followed. He'd left everything. It says the final phrase of that earlier meeting was, left everything and followed Jesus. But now where is he? He's followed Jesus, went to the cross. He thought he was going to be like, Jesus is going to be king. He's going to be vice king or whatever it is. And, and now Jesus isn't going to do that. And so what does he do? He goes back to his old life before agape, before he experienced God's incredible love. He tries to go back to his old life and have the old dreams, the old aspirations, the old, old getting by. Once you've been exposed to a greater love, that has greater dreams and plans for your life, it is really hard to go back to the mundane stuff that you self-generate. And so part of what Jesus is saying to Peter, I don't know what Peter's motivation was. Maybe he just saw all the, ge- the geopolitical kingdom I was hoping for isn't going to happen, so I'm going to have to go make a living over here. i got to feed my family. Or maybe he's saying, I blew it so bad, even a resurrected Savior couldn't use me. i got to go back and settle for second best. But that's not what Jesus is saying. That's why Jesus keeps saying, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, because I still have a plan for you, Peter. I know you've blown it. I know you screwed up royally. Everybody else knows it. And in front of everybody, I'm going to call you account for that, and I'm going to restore you, and I'm going to call you back to what I called you because I have not reneged on my calling. I haven't gone anywhere. I still love you. I still care about you. I still have a plan for your life. You're the one who ran away. Come back, and let's get back on track again. That is a powerful picture of agape love. It says to one who has blown it, I still love you. Oh, we're going to deal with the stuff, but I love you, and we're going to move forward together. Sometimes we got to go back to deal with that issue so we can go forward, and that's what Jesus would do with Peter. I'm going to take you back. I'm going to take you back. Part of the way he did that is really interesting. They tell us that our olfactory senses are one of the greatest triggers for memories. 
So have you ever been somewhere and you smell somebody just takes you to another place? Like, like when I go into like a, like a Home Depot and I go to the lumber section, I'm immediately with my grandpa. He's got his striped overalls on, his carpenter's overalls on, and we're at the lumber yard in a little town where he lived, and I can smell those same smells, you know? When I, when I go, uh, you guys know Fish Company over here? When I go by Fish Company, you know, they cook the fish on an open, on an open fire and then they pump it outside so more people want to come in and eat. I, I'm sure that's why they do it. <laughs> when, I was, when I was in college, uh, after my freshman year of college, I spent a summer in Portugal, and the little village we lived in was not far from the ocean. We would go to this little fishing village on the ocean, and they would always be cooking fresh fish over an open fire. And the minute I smell that, I go right back there, right back there. What did Jesus do? Why did he pick this occasion this place to, to confront Peter and to restore Peter? Because the first time he met Peter, the exact same story happened. Jesus is teaching. People are starting to get too close. He says, can, I, can, can you take it out in your boat? Gets in his boat, comes offshore just a little bit so people can't crowd in. And then he finishes teaching and he turns and he goes, now throw your nets in. And they're like, we've already been fishing. There's no fish. Throw your nets in. Tons of fish come. Sound familiar? The second time, <laughs> it, Jesus meets, hey, you guys got any fish? No, throw your nets in. Tons of fish comes in. It, deja vu. He is setting Peter up to go back to his first love. Right? Does that make sense? And he, does, he picks this place because he's restoring him back to who he's supposed to be because Peter all along was supposed to be something more than just fishing matter of fact Jesus told him that the first time he met him he said I'm gonna make you fishers of men <laughs> now Peter's back to catching fish when he said do you love me more than these he's saying do you love me more than that life that you'd created for yourself do you love me enough to do the life that I have for you that's more powerful but it will cost you suffering if you're going to read this passage it'll cost you suffering but in the end he ends it the same way they ended the first time they gave up everything and followed Jesus in this passage he says follow me so how do we do this agape thing just two things first one is follow me follow Jesus every day follow Jesus Spend time with Jesus every day in his word, in prayer, experiencing his love. And then the second one is both for Peter, care for my sheep, feed my lambs, and for the expert in the law. The expert law wanted to know who his neighbor was. Jesus, in essence, through the parable of the Good Samaritan, said, anybody in front of you that has a need, that's your neighbor. He wanted to narrow it down. So anybody in front of you, but with agape love, unconditional love, whose source is never ending, you can love whoever's in front of you. That's how we learn in following Jesus, and practice agape is serving others. Just being mindful of the fact that we have the opportunity to live out an agape kind of life, not a selfish kind of life, not a self-serving kind of life, or even a self-generated kind of life, but a life that is in service of Him. And it's really hard to do. It's just, it can, it's just a mundane, everyday thing. Am I going to respond in the agape that I experienced and received from God today in my prayer time, or am I going to respond the way I really want to? I want to want to respond like God would. I don't always want to. This, uh, this week, uh, uh, I, uh, I love these boots I have on. They're, they're old and they're not expensive or anything, but I really like them. And I was sitting in staff a couple weeks ago and I went like this. And one of the staff members was, why do you have a hole in your boot? You can afford, you know, I'm like, and sure enough, I have a big hole. So I took them to this little place to get new soles and new heels put on. And I want to invite the band and the singers out while I'm telling this. They're going to do my last point for me. Um, and so I took them in, got them fixed, and so I went back to pick them up, and when I dropped them off, I said, would you also, you know, shine them up, polish them, because they're pretty beat up, they're pretty old, and uh, so I got them, and they had, they had put nice soles, nice, nice heels on them, but, but they hadn't polished them, I said, like, I, I, I think we talked about it. you guys polish well, no, no problem, and so he just grabs this stuff and just slops it on, and I have my sunglasses on, and I look at it, and I take my sunglasses off, and I, 
and I look at my formerly wine-colored boots, and I say, um, what color is that you're putting on them? He says, dark brown. Now, like wine, like burgundy, I like them. I used to have some when I was younger. They kind of reminded me of that. That's part of why I like them. And now he's slapping dark brown on my boots. And here is the problem with being a pastor who's about to speak <laughs> on agape love. About loving unconditionally no matter what you're feeling and no matter what the circumstances are. Dark brown. <laughs> so today I'm wearing dark brown boots. And that's a silly illustration. And yet, to act in some other way toward that gentleman, even I, I wanted to inform him about several things. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that I couldn't have said that's the wrong color, but my attitude wasn't such that I could have said that in agape love. And so I decided I would practice love. Now, that's a silly illustration. But the same thing can happen the next time your wife says something, your husband says something that you know is a little off and you want to inform them how off they are. Or you want to look at your neighbor. Or you want, whatever it is. And then you remember this morning, I was experiencing agape love in the love, forgiveness, acceptance from God. And I'm going to choose to not only experience that, but to share that. And so I was thinking about how do we do that? How do we stay in that place where we experience God's love? And again, spending time with him every day. But how do I stay in the atmosphere or the mindset, the attitude of, of agape love? How do I do that? And I realize that it has to do with, it has to do with humbling myself and realizing how much I need his love. When I start getting full of myself, and doggone it, I deserve better than this, and I have rights, and the truth is I don't deserve anything God has done for me. I am blessed beyond anything I could have imagined, much less deserve. And so sometimes I have to just come back to a place of humility and go, yeah, I am loved with a love that I don't deserve, with a love that can only be supernatural. And because I've been loved that way, I need to be different. You know, there's another interesting thing. I talk about smells that take us back to another place. Have you ever heard a song that you first learned when you first became a Christian? when you first began to experience God's love and, and that song kind of went hand in hand with that and it brings you back to that first love. Well, today we want to end and make our last point with this. We need to humble ourselves before God and return to our first love and experience that agape love for anything else to work. And, and this song, it's a little kid song, but it tells us the essence of this message in the simplest way because it's not all that complex. Jesus loves me. And because Jesus loves me, everything has changed. Listen. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong, 
is going to sing some more of that song in a moment, but we researched that song. It was written in, as a poem first in early 1860s, and then it became a song. And in researching that, we found out that the, the poet wrote it for a little girl who was dying. They couldn't do anything to stop it. And she wrote this to comfort her and her family, that even when we face the most difficult of challenges in life and the ultimate, that Jesus' love is the thing that matters, because remember, it's the thing that lasts forever. And if Jesus loves you and you've accepted that gift of love, everything is different. I, today, I want you to do more than just hear it and get it in here. I want you to kind of get it. <laughs> and so I want you to listen to this next verse. I never even knew it existed. We discovered it. And it, was, it was about even when life is hard and even when the struggles are difficult, Jesus' love will still sustain you. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling. Life is hard. Relationships are not great. Your health may not be great. Or maybe you're feeling guilty because you just blew it like Peter. All you need to do is accept his love and carry that, and it will sustain you. So today I want her to sing this next chorus. I want you to listen to it and, and, and get it from here to here and, and then sing it with her as an affirmation of because Jesus has loved us. Not because we earned it, not because, because there was something in us that caused him to love, but because he loved us, period. And that is the most valuable thing about us is that Jesus loved us. And because of that, there's nothing that can separate us from that love, not even death itself. And I want you to take that affirmation and we'll sing this together and then I have one more thing I'm gonna tell you. Jesus loves me, he loves me still. you to sing out with this. Let's sing it together.
Lord God, thanks for loving us. Thanks for loving us so much. You came to the cross. You died for us so that we could be forgiven and be restored and reconciled to you. If anybody here today has never come to accept that gift, I pray that today they would choose. They would choose to experience your agape love. Lord God, if we're struggling with issues, bring healing and hope, Lord God. Empower us by your love. Let us go from this place as loving, truly loving people because of your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.